Take your Bibles this morning, if you will, and turn with me, if you will, to two verses that we're going to look at this morning that I hope will be a help and a blessing to you. Uh, first of all, look at Luke chapter 11, if you will. Luke chapter 11, verse number 5. Luke chapter 11, verse number 5. The Bible says this, And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. If you can go to someone at midnight and ask for some bread, that's a real friend. I want you to flip over one book, if you will, the book of John. John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Verse number 14. The Bible says this, Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I have commanded you. Let's pray this morning. Lord, I pray you be with us in these next 30 minutes or so. Lord, I've asked for your help already numbers of times. I ask for clarity of thought and clarity of tongue. And Lord, I believe this principle, this precept found in the Word of God could be a help to every person here if they will take it, hear it, and then do it. And Lord, I pray you'll help me to be the friend that I should be to people I beat this summer, people that we have a chance to minister to. I pray we will respond to the impulse of the Holy Spirit to be and to do what you would have us to be and do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In Los Angeles, not long ago, about 10 or 11 years ago, the University of Southern California built their first on-campus gymnasium in school history. They played basketball in several different arenas, and since the 1960s, they played in the Los Angeles Sports Center, which was a really, really old gym. Uh, the Lakers used to play there, and then later on, uh, after they played there, it just kind of filled, the Clippers played for a while. Then they built the forum they didn't use it anymore. Then after that, the Staples Center. But finally, USC built this building. A guy by the name of Galen, this huge building right here, uh, gave $50 million, 5-0, to help get the building started. It seats about 10,000 people. It's where they play basketball. It's where they play volleyball. It's an amazing thing. If you go back to that first slide, guys, in the back, I'd appreciate that. This is the floor. And... For years to come, probably millions of people who have watched games there and thousands of players will run across this court. And they'll see the USC on the inlines, but they'll see written there on that court the name Jim Sterkel Court. Jim Sterkel. Kind of an interesting thing. You see, they give naming rights for different things. Uh, and when USC was building this building, they said, if you would like to have your name on this court, we would be glad to do that for the small sum of $5 million. And somebody paid $5 million. But it wasn't Jim Sterkel. He was dead. What in the world? Who's going to do that? Well, the story starts like, so many other things. I think the building was dedicated in 2004. Jim Sterkel had died of cancer in 1997. 
Two boys met in high school. One was the jock. It was Jim Sturkel. Six foot seven, 230 pounds. Believe it or not, back then, that was a sitter in D1 basketball, not anymore. The other guy was the bookworm. He was kind of the nerd. He loved sports. He'd go to Jim's games. They just became fast friends. They hung around together. They spent time together and had a great time. Well, they graduated from high school. They went different ways. They went to two different junior colleges. After two years at JC, they both decided to go to the University of Southern California to go to college. They were roommates there. You might be thinking, I bet Jim Strickle was an unbelievable player. He was on the team. He played two years. His junior year, he made a grand total of nine baskets for the whole year. He played against the University of San Francisco, which is not well known today, but in the 1950s, they were really good. They had a really, really good center. And in that game, Jim Strickle shot the ball two times. The first shot was smashed back at this eye, he got a black eye. The second shot was smashed back at this eye, he got a black eye this side. The center for the University of San Francisco was Bill Russell, later to win 10 titles with the Boston Celtics in the NBA. But he was a humble guy. Didn't smoke, didn't drink. He was a Christian. His senior year, he averaged nine points and eight rebounds a game. He was voted the most improved player on the team. Well, they graduated. His friend went into business. Jim Strickle went to work for the Johnson Wax Company. Kind of a low-profile job. But he stayed in touch with his friend. They stayed friends for not just years, but for decades. You'll find that many of your lifetime friends will be the friends you go to college with. Because they're going to be in ministry like you. They'll have a heart for the Lord like you. My best friends are from college days, not from high school. They stayed in touch over those years. And after 38 years, Jim Sturkle retired from Johnson Wax. His friend hired him to be a security guard in his company. And one day, Jim Sturkle found out he had a lump, and he told his friend. His friend drove him to the doctor. He's a real friend. He found out he had testicular cancer. During that time, his friend's son got cancer as well. He got leukemia. Jim Sturkle wrote a letter. He said, if your son passes away, I want you to give him. He'd written him a beautiful poem. Jim Sturkle died. Two years later, the young boy died. Now, most people, if they had the kind of money that Jim's friend had, would name the court after themselves. Or maybe I think I might have named it after my son, who had died of cancer. But he didn't. He named it the Jim Sturkle Court. And when the newsman found him, he said, I won't tell you the story unless you don't release my name. He said, I don't want people to think about me. I want them to know about Jim Sturkle. And with that agreement, Bill Plasky of the Los Angeles Times drove to his home and he pulled up and he knocked on the door. Mrs. Sturkle opened the door. He says, do you know why they named the court after Jim? She goes, my Jim? And by the way, there was a UCLA flag flying out front. Their daughter was a Tall like her dad was a great athlete. What a gold medal in the Olympics in swimming. UCLA grad. She goes, they named it after dad? They said, why? They had no idea. But they did have an idea of who might have done it. They said, well, his roommate loved him. It was his best friend. So he found the roommate, and he said, what did he do? Pull you out of a burning car? Did he give you a kidney? 
What happened? He goes, no. He said, he was just my friend. He was just my friend. He said, isn't that enough? I read that. I leaned back in my chair and I asked myself a question. What kind of friend am I? What kind of friend am I? This morning, I want to share with you a very simple message. Knowing this will be the last time I will ever speak to some of you. After having you in classes and meetings and chapels and all this type of thing. And I want to challenge you to be a good friend when you leave West Coast Baptist College. The Bible says about the Lord Jesus Christ that there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. There's a midnight friend. A second mile friend. What kind of friend are you? How would people describe your friendship to others? How would your roommates describe your friendship? How would your siblings describe your friendship? How would those you work for describe your friendship? I want to challenge you this morning to be the right kind of friend. This morning, if you have a piece of paper, I'd like you to write down two or three simple things. By the way, can you stop and think about good friends you've had in your lifetime? Elementary school is Greg Kaplanik. My dad maybe stopped being a friend with him in junior high school because he started listening to the wrong kind of music. Good counselor, my dad. In high school was Joe Benio, my best friend from 7th through 12th grade. Best athlete in our school, man. He had a pool in his house. We played basketball, football, baseball, water ski in the summer, rode motorcycles, my best friend. In college, a guy named Steve Lammas is still serving the Lord, my senior roommate, my freshman year of college, who really helped direct me towards the right kind of friends. I'm still indebted to him. I saw his consistency in his life and his devotional walk. He works for Brother Rudy abroad as his principal down in Carson today at the age of 65 or 66. Going off to college, I think of friends. I had a, I had a teacher, his name was Dr. Wendell Evans. Dr. Evans is now in his mid-80s. I write him every month. I want to be a good friend to him. You say, why would you write this guy in his 80s every month? I don't know if I'll see him again this side of heaven. Because the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 27, verse number 10, thine own friend and thy father's friends forsake not. I called him this last week, not really thinking about this message. I sent him a couple books. He can't hear well. His wife would have to kind of interpret what I was saying. I think he's dealing with a little dementia now. Man, he was a friend to me. I'm thankful for friends here that have challenged me and exhorted me and been an example to me. I'm thankful for Pastor Chapel, who's been a great friend to me for 22 years, and Dr. Gatch and Brother Furso and others, a lesser amount of time. I was sitting next to Brother Lester yesterday at a meeting, and I've known Brother Lester since he was 18 years of old. And, and, uh, He'll always be special to me. Tim Christensen had 389 people on Easter Sunday. I remember recruiting him for Bible college. Man, I want him to know, I still want to be his friend. He's not here anymore. I believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is looking across this room today and is asking who in here will be a friend. And here's three ways I'd like to challenge you to be a friend this morning. Very simple. Number one, number one, let me challenge you to be a friend to saints to be a friend of saints, to other Christians. 
Are you a friend of saints? I'll tell you one thing. After I saw that video today, I just saw it today for the first time. I wrote, I wrote the two guys who did the video work and thanked them. They did a great job. I'd already written Brother Tyler. A friend of saints. How do we do that? First of all, let me challenge you to be a second mile friend. A second mile friend. It's not always going to be easy to be the friend that you ought to be. It will, always, it will almost always cost you something. It might cost you your time. It might cost you talent. It might cost you treasure. Are you trying to help other people, other believers? Whosoever shall compel thee to go with him a mile, the Bible says, go with him twain. Keep on going. Go the extra mile. I called Dr. Sis the other day. I was just thinking about him, and I've written him a couple times since his surgery. Boy, that guy's an encourager. I called to encourage him. He encouraged me. What a great example for us of how a Christian ought to respond. Have you thought about Dr. Sisk? Have you written him a note, told him you're praying for him? I believe God wants us to be a friend to saints, to be a second mile friend. Secondly, let me challenge you this morning on this, be a loyal and a warning friend. Sometimes you have to warn people. Hey, wait a minute, I don't think you're going the right direction. Hey, you know what? Don't say that. Don't be a critic. Don't be a griper. God hates murmuring and complaining. Let's just pray about that. Let's not complain about it. God hates murmuring and complaining. Let's not be that way. We talk about a loyal friend and a warning friend. One who's willing to exhort, to challenge others. Will you be that kind of friend? Not necessarily a yes man. Sometimes you have to say no. I literally heard recently about a pastor who asked my brother Tim to go with him to a movie. Just go on. Seriously? Seriously? And in the antinomian age we live with grace abounding, nothing is off limits anymore. Maybe we should say, you know, I'm not, I'm not going that direction anymore. I want to do the right thing. I think about Jonathan, who was a great friend to David. Well, you talk about an unpopular and a dangerous position to be, and most people forget the fact that, well, yes, Saul tried to kill David with a javelin, he tried to kill his own son with a javelin as well. But when he knew his friend was in danger, he went out of his way to warn David. So you can't go back to my father's table, it's not safe there. He loved him. He was giving up his position for him. Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, seeketh to kill thee. Now therefore I pray thee, take heed to thyself into the morning, and abide in a secret place, and hide thyself. My father seeketh to kill thee, go hide yourself. That was not the politically correct thing to do. Sometimes with Christians, we need to sit there and say, you know what, i got to warn you about this. You're not going the right direction. Be careful you're hanging around. I told you I had a roommate my freshman year in 1975 who said, you know what, those friends of yours, how do we become friends? Oh, we got together to make a good collegiate basketball team. Good sports. Well, we had a good team. We made the school championship. Lost. 20 teams. We won our league. 
made the school championship in softball. He said, I remember saying, are those guys good Christians? Wow. Never thought about what kind of Christians they were. By the way, those four guys, three of them got expelled from college. He made me rethink who my friends were. By the way, I praise the Lord. I praise the Lord. I transferred from a liberal arts college to a Bible college next year. It changed everything. It changed everything. So we see that, first of all, we need to be a friend to the saints, a second-mile friend, a loyal and warning friend. Can I say this? A forgiving friend. A forgiving friend. I got a text from a preacher within the last week who said, I'll never forgive this other preacher. <coughs> Folks, we are like the Lord Jesus Christ when we forgive and when we give. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Will you forgive that roommate who did wrong to you this year? Maybe it's a family member. Will you forgive them? Mark 14, Luke 22. Jesus forgave the disciples. They went to sleep during a very intimate prayer meeting. Really? With the Lord? I hope that we will be a friend to saints. Secondly, this morning, very simple, be a friend to sinners. You have had the privilege of attending West Coast Baptist College. Amen. You've been in a place where we say this, keep the main thing the main thing, and the main thing is soul winning. Can I ask you, will you be a soul winner this summer? Amen. Will you carry tracks this summer? Will you go out with your church on soul winning on a regular basis? Hey, you've been through personal evangelism now. Will you train someone else to be a soul winner? What a great thing to do this summer. I hope you'll get involved with your church. There was a guy years ago, he worked at Ironwood for years by the name of Mike Sprawl. Mike was my Sunday school teacher for one summer. I believe it was between the 8th and ninth grade years. Greatest Sunday school teacher I ever had. Oh, by the way, he just finished his freshman year of college. I remember saying, if I ever become a Sunday school teacher, I want to be like Mike. It wasn't all about him that summer. Taking us for the, to the beach for overnight camp up for that boy's class. Taking us swimming in his house, riding motorcycles, teaching us how to ride a bike in the, in the alley behind his house. And I'm telling you about it almost 50 years later. Will you be a difference maker? We think about this to sinners. Can I challenge you when you go home? Keep carrying tracks. Keep going out on soul winning. The Bible says, I have commanded you and ordained you that you should bring forth fruit and that your fruit should do what? Remain. Remain. So, and I did not learn, you guys are so blessed to learn this here. I really didn't learn this until I came to Lancaster, California. I could get people to pray a prayer. But to my shame, 20 years in Indiana, Knoxville, I don't know of one adult that attends those churches I led to Christ. These things ought not so to be. But to have fruit that remains, you need to see them get saved, baptized, discipled, and see them serving. Work with them. Help them. Care for them. Can I challenge you to be a soul-winning friend? Tell them the good news of the gospel. But let me say this as well. Let them see Jesus in you. Let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works to glorify your Father which is in heaven. I know we've heard so many things that are negative about lifestyle evangelism, but I'm going to say this. People should know we're different. Right. 
I read a missionary biography about a week ago that was just astounding. But a lady who got married at 19, by the age of 21, she was in a POW camp. Her husband dies in the camp. She spent five years in, in, in a prisoner war camp. It's called Evidence Not Seen. It's an amazing book. Can I say this? People saw something in her life. My wife and I had the privilege, I was preaching up in Boston or Connecticut some years ago, and we got to go and meet Elizabeth Elliot. She's in heaven now. People knew there was something different about Elizabeth Elliot. People knew there was something different about Dr. Don Sisk. Can I challenge you? Let people see Jesus in you. Let your light shine. By the way, Brother Shetler talked on this Wednesday night, but I think you ought to see Jesus by the way we dress, by the way we talk, what we laugh at. What's our music like? The Bible says you are a chosen generation. We are in the world, but not of the world. We shouldn't be like everybody else. I've always liked it when we went to a ball game and we looked different than everybody. Oh, that's West Coast Baptist College. Can I challenge you to maintain that when you go home? To maintain it? Keep it going? Do the right thing? I think if you'll do that, you'll be glad you did. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid, the Bible said. I believe that the world needs to see Jesus in some people's lives. It's looking for something. Probably the best-selling track of all time was a track by Jack Chick. I'm sure everyone in here has seen it if you've been saved for over a year. It was entitled, This Was Your Life. But it talked about a man who at work was no different than anybody else. And when the time came, he had no chance to be a difference maker. My brother Tim and I are very close. We had the privilege of working together for 14 years, seven years in Indiana, seven years in Knoxville. We talk multiple times a week. We're very, very close. He's often said this to me. He goes, I don't want to do anything that would hurt the cause of Christ. Can I challenge you to do the same thing? Don't do something this summer that would hurt the cause of Christ. There's a name that's above every name. It's the name of Jesus. I hope you'll protect your name. I really do. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. I hope you have a good name. But can I say this? Let's protect the name of Jesus this summer. This is going to sound really simple. Protect it by the way you drive. Protect it by the way you respond. Let's protect the name of Jesus. So when I talk about what kind of friend are you, first of all, what kind of friend are you, are you going to be to the saints? What kind of friend will you be to the sinners? But I close with this this morning. What kind of friend will you be to the Savior? Ye are my friends, if you do whatsoever I have commanded you. Years ago, someone asked the famous writer, Mark Twain, Samuel Clemens, whichever you'd like to call him, they said, Mr. Twain, do you understand everything in the Bible? He laughed and said this. He was a very witty person. He said, it's not the things in the Bible that I don't understand that bother me. And I don't claim to have the grip on Daniel and Revelation, maybe that Brother Hauk has. But folks, there's a whole lot that's really easy to understand. Really easy. 
God wants us to have the fruits of the Spirit in our life. God wants us, every one of us in here, every one of us in here, to be kind to others. God wants us to be a witness. If you live at home, God wants you to be obedient to your parents. If you're out of your home, God still wants you to honor your parents. I talked to a father today, this morning, about 7.30. He said, my daughter's just never in touch with me. I said, I'll talk to her about that. My dad pastored a church of about 1,100 people, oversaw a Christian school of 1,300. And he had time, had, was a father and over seven kids, went soul winning four nights a week, four nights a week, and yet he had time to call his parents every week. Because I'll say this, friends, we have time for that which is important to us. We have time for what's important to us. So I'm going to challenge you about that. When you get home, spend time with your parents first. Many of you, they've helped you with your school bill. Your buddies down at the Dairy Queen did not do that. I know you missed them. You'll see them soon enough. When we talk about being a friend of the Savior, let me challenge you as you go out this summer. First of all, don't forsake him. Don't forsake him. You'll hear a rooster crow. The Lord will bring himself to your mind. Just make up your mind. Make up your mind now. You're going to stay faithful in your Bible reading. I won't be there to nag you in class anymore. Did you read your Bible today? Did you pray today? Make time for what's important. The psalmist said this. He said, early will I seek thee. And I know some very good Christians that have devotions at night. But you know what? I've had days where all of a sudden, 1139, I realized I haven't read my Bible. So I've just decided first things first. And I try to get up when I wake up. I got up this morning about 5.05. I brushed my teeth. I shaved. The first thing I did was I read my Bible. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Colossians says that in all things He might have the preeminence. Not just prominence. We go to church every week, He's prominent, but He asks for preeminence in our life. So can I challenge you? Don't forsake Him. Secondly, don't ignore Him. Give Him the time He deserves. My wife has been extremely kind to me this last week. I've been I'm heavily wife-dependent anyway. <laughs> but this last week, I've been very heavily wife-dependent. I had surgery on Friday, I got home on Saturday. I could not get off a couch by myself. You have to realize, if you don't know us well, that my wife and I are not quite the same size. <laughs> she weighs about 120 pounds. I weigh more than that. More than twice as much as that, okay? You say, how much do you weigh, doctor? Are 200 and none of your business pounds, okay? <laughs> I couldn't get up. It was quite a sight. This little lady tried to pull me up. She's got to help me. If they gave you a brace where I didn't want to, I wanted to get back. By the, by the next day, I was able to get up and down by myself. But that first day, every time I got up or down, she had to help me. She had to put my socks on for me. She had to change the bandages constantly. <laughs> and all this gauze, I had four different places where they went in. And 
they would take that off and she'd tape it. And man, I'll tell you what, she finally got a little humorous because it got very red angry where the tape kept tearing off. She says, I'm looking for some fresh skin. What in the world? <laughs> you think she's sweet, you know, so. If I'm lying, I'm dying, I'm telling you the truth. Great, you know. You know what she did? She went way overboard in giving me extra time. So helpful, so kind. Can I ask you this? How much time does the Lord Jesus Christ deserve in our life? 24 hours a day, 172 hours in a week. Can you give him 30 minutes a day? Can you give him 15 minutes a day? You think about him? I travel a lot now that our kids are grown. My wife travels with me most of the time, not all the time. But when I come in, she wants to know what's going on. I call her every day when I'm gone. Always. She's my wife. I want to stay in touch with her. And if I'm going to talk to my wife every day, should we not talk to our Lord and Savior every day? He's worthy. Don't forsake him. What kind of friend are you to the Savior? And finally, this is a little warning, and maybe I should end on a more positive note, but don't live in such a way that you have to forsake you. Don't live in such a way that you have to forsake you. He will separate himself from some people. One of my closest friends in college, we both went to Bob Jones, we both transferred to Hiles Anderson. He was an amazing basketball player. He was a great, great preacher. He started a church in Indiana. I probably spoke for him, I don't think I'm exaggerating, 50 times in 10 years. I was down there for everything. He was teaching church planning at two Bible colleges at the same time, Howells Anderson and Fairhaven. Gifted, smart. I was in a history civ class with 700 people. And I got an A in the class, but he would beat me on every test. I finally decided the final, I'm going to finally beat this guy. He was on my same dorm floor. And I would have studied my brains out. I would have beat him one time. And I really studied. I really worked. I missed one question. I remember going down to his room. You know how we want people to ask how we did, so we ask how they did first? <laughs> and I said, uh, how'd you do the final today? He goes, ah, oh, pretty good. I said, no, how'd you do? He goes, I didn't miss any. I didn't tell him how I did, you know. <laughs> he was a really good friend. He's not in the ministry anymore. He's been divorced twice. We don't have anything in common anymore. If he needed something, I would help him. But he's made some choices that have caused separation. This morning, I close with this. You're about to leave here. Some of you, you're graduating. Brother Johnson was a policeman for 24 years, I believe. I remember meeting him in Greenville, Tennessee and talking about serving the Lord full time. You're going to march next Wednesday, Brother Johnson. Amazing. Could go out and be an assistant pastor in the Nashville, Tennessee area. So proud of you and Angie. And there's stories all across this room. It's awesome. But can I say this? Whether you are a graduate, like Brother Lee Johnson will be in just a few days, 
whether you are a one-year Bible student, listen carefully, you could choose to be the right kind of friend. I challenge you, this last regular chapel, to be a friend to saints, a friend to sinners, and a friend of the Savior.